everyone. Welcome back. I'm so excited for you to have a chance to listen to the next episode with Mr. Chaz Lewis. I'm Joy Derringer, and this is 99 Lead Balloon. Hey. Hey. Episode 5, Early Childhood Education and Development, Part 1. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mr. Chaz. I'm, I'm so excited to talk with you and uh, hear from you and, and learn a little bit with you. I'm excited to be here, Joy. I'm excited to have the conversation and excited to answer any question that you might have for me. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, well, as we get started, I wonder if you just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes. So my name is... Mr. Chaz, I am a parent coach on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. I have a podcast called Mr. Chaz's Leadership Parenting and Teaching Podcast. Um, in a previous slash current life, um, I'm an educational specialist who works with a uh, chain of private schools. I uh, work about with eight different schools with children from as young as three weeks to as old as 12 years. Um, I work with hundreds of teachers. I've trained hundreds of teachers. I've worked with thousands of children. Um, so I know them pretty well. Yeah. And that is a little bit about myself and what I do. Awesome. That's so great. How did you get into education? What made you, what like drew you to that? Yeah. So this is actually probably surprise a lot of people who listen to my content, um, kind of familiar with me, but I didn't, really like I didn't grow up wanting to be a teacher mm. I didn't have great experiences um in school growing about some I did have some great experiences and some great teachers but I had more I would say outweighed I don't want to even say that's the outweighed but I had more teachers um who I did not have a great experience with as opposed to teachers that I um did have a good experience with sure and um so I never really saw myself being a teacher, being in education. And really the only reason I started working with children is because um, they, the childcare center down the street, they were hiring and I needed a job and it was summer and I was like a college kid yeah. and I just needed a job to make money. Um, and once I interviewed and I got the job, it was clear that I think more clear to other people, but it also became clear to me that I kind of have this natural talent um, of just interacting with children mm. and seeing children yeah. um, and working with them. But that doesn't mean I didn't still struggle. I still mm -hmm. struggled a lot in the beginning because I just, there was just so, there's such a big gap and there's such a big knowledge gap. Yeah. Um, and like one of my old mentors, one of my first mentors said um, she said I had good instincts, but instincts weren't enough for me to, you know, not feel so stressed out in a classroom mm -hmm. of 30 children, yeah. um, three to five years old. Um, I really struggled with things like figuring out how to help them through conflict. Mm. I would try to help them in conflict and I wouldn't know if I made it better, if I made it worse. And I understood the gravity of what I was doing, that I was, you know, helping to grow the next generation of humans, but I didn't quite know the best way to do that or what was a necessarily, what was a positive impact. Mm. Um, and so that really led me to um, finding, you know, mentors, going to any training I could possibly go to, reading books, listening to podcasts, just learning and absorbing and really reflecting every single day about kind of the day's happenings and, you know, things that didn't go well, things that did go well, and just this deep reflection and having conversation with coworkers mm. to really, you know, grow and grow and grow grow in positions, grow in, like internally, um, grow in my practice and strategies that I would use. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, by the way, Montessori teacher is where most of my experiences, um, ages three to five. Okay. 
and um, it, it, it was, you know, it was really tough for me. But as I moved, as I became a lead teacher and eventually an, an educational specialist like I am now, where I teach teachers to teach, mm-hmm. um, it really, you know, I really wanted to reach back because I remember those struggle days and those real, those stressful days, yeah. uh, those stressful moments, days, weeks, months um, of really struggling. And a big part of my focus as an educational specialist was new teachers because I know how much, how challenging it is in the beginning. So I was doing that for a while, really successful. Um, I mean, I work with eight schools there, but they're about close to 70 schools in the company that I work for. Um, And so they're like a lot of other trainers and I really, I gained a reputation as kind of like as a trainer in the company um, and someone that people really looked forward to learning from. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward a little bit, pandemic happened, children went home, um, parents went home, Mm -hmm. teachers went home, and the parents were the ones who were with the children 24-7. Yeah. Um, And I had this like just internal drive to make a positive impact, to help people enjoy the process of becoming the best versions of themselves um, and to help people grow. And I was, I was thinking like, so like, how can I, how can I take my why, mm-hmm. my drive and help during this really difficult time? Um, and I don't know if anyone out here remembers like the beginning of the pandemic where it was such just like this feeling of camar- camaraderie and we're all in here, you know, yeah, in it together. Um, and, you know, I think that on top of like my, just already internal intrinsic sense of wanting to help and just kind of grow the world um, led me to TikTok because I saw one through social media, how parents were really struggling and just didn't, they were, you know, they were sharing the things that they were struggling with. And I'm like, I totally, at this point in my, you know, career, like I totally, I understand this child's behavior and I know exactly what to do and how to respond to help the child best. And also to make the the situation less stressful for the adult. Yeah. Um, And TikTok was, I kind of gravitated towards TikTok because it really felt like the culture there was just very authentic, Mm -hmm. fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a strong, still is a strong educational component there. And so I started to create videos that were enjoyable to consume, Mm -hmm. but also by the end of it, you feel like your perspective has grown a little bit, like you've learned a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I started creating TikTok videos that blew up. I kind of just started posting them on Instagram. Instagram um, started to grow, just hit 100K yesterday. That's awesome. Um, I'm at like 180,000 and something on TikTok. Wow. Um, And so like that really started to grow and people started to ask for more. That's, you know, so I created the podcast where I could have kind of more nuanced, longer conversations and bring on other professionals mm-hmm. in the field with different expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can provide more than just the one minute videos um, to kind of shift the perspective and really create that, you know, that deeper understanding and with practical strategies. Um, and also creating my Patreon, which people can, you know, it's something that you can like support my work through, but I also, you know, people at different tier levels also get access to those podcast episodes, but you get to be live there mm-hmm. and ask your questions. You also can get access to one-on-one coaching with me where we can go deep into what you're struggling with, the kind of parent you want to be. Mm-hmm. And I can help you, you know, not only be the kind of parent you want to be, but also solve all those challenges that you are working through with your child. So yeah. that's kind of the origin story, at least from the time I started working in education, I think there's kind of like a deeper origin story of just like my own yeah. education, but that's such a long story. So sure. I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> no right. worries. No worries. Um, I'm so sorry. I do have to pause for one moment because my computer just alerted me that I need to plug it in, um, which is the one thing that I forgot to do. So <laughs> one second. Yeah, go ahead. Do it. 
take a sip of water. Okay, sorry about that. I'm recording in a different space than you than I normally would <laughs> because I have four kids of my own and they're all remote learning and they're <coughs> scattered throughout the house and uh, this is not possible <laughs> when they're up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is this you found the one space without the four children. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so that's that's all really really um that's awesome to hear about kind of how you got started in education. That's so cool. Um full disclosure, I tried to start in education uh when I was in college. I thought I want to be a teacher. And I got through two um, education courses and said, I don't want to be a teacher anymore. I couldn't, I, I couldn't do it. I knew that it wasn't something that I was going to be skilled in. Um, and I love children. And now I work in early childhood education. And I, I think I was just aiming for the wrong niche. I was aiming for like grade school, things like that. And then I ended up landing in, you know, working with families who have kids aged prenatally up to three years old, like that really young age group that um, I love that so much. But um, I mean, direct service is hard and working constantly with families can be really draining. Um, and I, I so admire people who, who continually work with families and who give parents the tools that they need um, and teachers the tools that they need to um, educate kids, to support kids, to just help them be you know, the best version of themselves as they grow up. Because uh, it's certainly not something that comes naturally to some people. And it's it's a lot of work. Um, so love hearing how you ended up in this and that it's just something that you truly do love doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, re I really do. You know, and I, for anyone who is <clears throat> thinking about like, oh, I don't know what I want to do, hearing us talk and you just heard our joy said like, oh, I tried this. I didn't, and I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there was a period of time where I really, you know, I really struggled because I kind of grew up, I was kind of given the message, but also maybe a, a part of me, you know, this wasn't a message that I necessarily, you know, was pushed away, but I wanted the American dream the white picket fence, like mm -hmm. I wanted the stability and to make money and to not have to worry about it. But I also really was passionate about, you know, working with children and growing the next generation of humans. And yeah. I worked a little bit, I worked at a government job and I pay, got paid way more. And this was early on in my um, career. I worked at a government job for a little while. I got paid way more than what I was getting paid to work as a teacher and doing a lot less work Yeah, at the government job, um, which, you know, in my mind, like growing up, like, okay, that's American dream. Not have to work a lot, make my, like make a good amount of money, mm. but I dreaded it. And mm. I just was not a place where I found enjoyment. And I remember just waking up and, and hating the idea of going to it and i remembered i think one of the light bulb moments for me because i'm not i'm not a morning person like i just hate waking up in general like <laughs> in the morning you know yeah I, but one of the light bulb moments for me was that i woke up one morning and i was like i'm so tired i don't want to get up i don't want to do today and then and i kind of like hit the snooze button on my alarm and i closed my eyes and as i closed my eyes i was thinking and i was like huh what do i have planned today oh, well, I have this planned and I'm going to be doing this with my kids. And oh yeah, I did plan to show them like, we're going to open up the pumpkin and I can't wait to see their faces. Yeah. And I was thinking like, I'm actually kind of pumped for it. As I was thinking about going through my day, yeah. I was like, I actually really do want to do today. I'm just tired and groggy. Yeah. And that literally got me up out of bed. Wow. Uh, and that like, you know, it, finding something that literally gets you up out of bed in the morning because mm -hmm. you're so inspired by the work that you, you do like that is a hard, you know, I, it's something that not a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. um, and I would encourage 
ev anyone, everyone to find something that gives you that feeling that literally gets you out of bed in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, and it'd be nice, you know, I know that like, money is important too. So I'm not saying everyone should go into education. You know, <laughs> I think the sweet spot is when you find a place you find a thing that you love to do yeah. that literally gets you out of bed. So you love the job, a work environment, a work culture that is um, healthy and conducive to, you know, who you are as a person in, in your growth. And also, you know, pays the bills enough to where you're not so stressed out and worried about money and worried about, you know, am I going to eat? Am our children going to eat? Are we going to have enough money to, to, to live? Mm. I think that is the sweet spot. Um, I think it's hard to find. And I was pretty willing that last part of like, oh, I might, you know, I might struggle financially, but I think struggling financially, at least personally, is like I'd rather struggle financially and love what I do every day yeah. and make enough money to get by and deal with that struggle and, 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 and love what I do and where I work and deal with the financial stress a little bit. Mm. Um, and, you know, but the other thing to that was because I love what I do, it, it pushed me to really invest and learn and become great at what I do, mm -hmm. which now helps me to now, now that I'm like, you know, great, you know, quote unquote, great at what I do, I'm able to provide more value. Yeah. And, you know, the money comes from the value that you provide. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not something that I, when I chose to, you know, work in education and stay in education, that's not something that the, the clear path to like the money or the financial freedom or whatever, like that was completely uncertain. I didn't know if that was ever going to happen. Um, luckily for me that, you know, it is, I'm starting to see that light of like that other part, that third part of potential, potentially having financial freedom and actually making money to where I'm not stressing and worrying about the dollar. But that mm -hmm. only, that's only happening because of all the work that I willingly and gladly put in for this thing that I love to do. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think that that, um, is a great thing to keep in mind because, uh, yeah, you're so right. Like it doesn't matter how much you're getting paid. If you don't love it, if you dread your work, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Um, so absolutely. That is wonderful. I'm so glad you said that because, um, I think that that's something that a lot of people are struggling with right now. I was reading a study that was talking about, um, how this huge percentage of Americans um, because of the pandemic have decided that they're going to try to find a different career path. Um, and I think it's just been really eye-opening how many people are finding that they're doing something that they don't really love. Um, and they have had the chance to slow down and realize it. And, yeah. 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 And that's, you know, I think that's what it was. It's the pandemic really forced, forced everyone to slow down, to stop, reflect and, think about what they really wanted. A lot of people really go into it and it's just, and it happens from, you know, such a young age. We're always preparing children to, to go to the next thing, to be ready to go to the next thing. And there's this whole like thought of just like, we need a, you know, school readiness. We need to get them ready for, you know, kindergarten. And it starts really young too, in yeah. some places, like, yeah. As from the time that they're from infants, like, okay, we need to get them ready to be toddlers. Okay, we, yeah. need, to get toddlers. we need to get them ready to go into a school. Yep. Okay, now they're in, uh, you know, in a preschool. Now we need to get them ready for kindergarten. Now mm. we need to get them ready for, you know, elementary, you know, middle school, high school, college, for that entry-level job. And it's just for the next promotion. And it's just, you know, getting them ready for the next thing, next thing. And- a lot of what we 
you know, chase and, and, and value and what's being pushed is like, go to that Ivy league thing and take the big classes. And there's no discussion about mental health or mm. balance. It's, yeah. it's pushing kids, pushing kids, pushing kids to, mm. to, you know, be, to get the best grade, you know, to have the most extracurriculars to be competitive so they can get to that next thing. And then, you know, we get to that next thing and maybe we achieve, you know, and we even become the CEO of a company or we're at the highest, we become partner at the, you know, at the law firm or at the law firm or the doctor, or whatever it is that we've been told and been prepared for our whole life. And then we get there and we realize how empty it really is. Yeah. And that, you know, we chose it not based off our own internal compass and what we are passionate about and what we care about. We chose it because this is just what we're being prepared for. And this is what we've been told to do. We just wanted the money and this is what we were told to do. So we just followed the path that was laid out for us. Yeah. And come to find out that it doesn't fulfill us. It doesn't make us happy. I mean, there are plenty of millionaires out there who are not happy, mm. who are struggling with mental health, mm. who you know don't have relation, relationships with their families. Yeah. And, you know, people find out and there's so many there's so many stories out there um but people find out they get to that whatever thing that they wanted to achieve and then they realize or the, or the money they realize it's not about the money it's about the it's about their relationships it's yeah. about their mental health mm-hmm. it's about you know the about how they want to live their life it's about the process as opposed to just that end goal yes have end goals it's great to have goals i have plenty of goals i have a vision i want adults to be able to see i i want the world i want the world of adults to be able to truly see children guide them and trust them mm-hmm. I, you know i have goals that visions and i have smaller goals too but you know i also have to check in that I'm not, you know, I'm not sprinting towards these goals at the detriment to my own mental health or my own mm-hmm. balance or my work-life balance. And I'm trying to be, you know, it's something that I, you know, I'm definitely not, I'm, I'm here preaching, but I struggle with it too, of just mm-hmm. trying to keep my self-awareness and doing those check-ins, yeah. right? A lot of people, you know, it forced the pandemic forced people to slow down and kind of check in on themselves. And like, okay, this is what I really want. I try to do that check-in often, mm-hmm. right? And usually, you know, there maybe if, I, if I'm feeling a feeling, that's a signal. My body's okay. My body, I'm trying to listen to my body. Okay, my body is feeling a lot of stress. Maybe that it's signaling something to me. It's telling me something. Am I doing, am I, you know, living a balanced life? Am I having... You know, am I putting too much um, on in one basket and neglecting another basket, mm-hmm. right? Am I putting too much into work and neglecting relationships? Am I putting too much into relationships and neglecting work, yeah. right? Um, and so, and I would very much encourage anyone out there to do those regular check-ins. And especially when you're feeling these strong emotions in your body, because your body's telling you something, your body trying to, we've been taught and conditioned to ignore what our body's trying to tell us and just push through it to just grind. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but that's not like our, that's not a healthy thing to do. Mm -hmm. Like the stress in your body, especially day to day and you go in a job that you hate an environment that is toxic. Um, you know, regardless if you're making money or not, like that is literally taking a toll on your health. Mm-hmm. It, you're, you're taking days, weeks, years off of your life, yeah. you know, you know, pushing through and not listening to what your body's telling you. So yeah. Yeah. Um, just think about that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, now, this isn't something that we had discussed ahead of time, but I'd love to ask you because we just kind of went in that direction in conversation. Um, you talked about how we're conditioned to ignore the signals that um, our body is giving us how do we do that with our with our kids how do we like what are the ways that we do that to children what are the ways that we uh condition them to ignore their the signals in their body or yeah. what are the ways to help them pay attention to the signals in their body i would love to hear about both how how okay. how we have desensitized them to listen to their body and then how we can help them listen to their body 
Yeah. So I'm going to say some classic phrases that we've sure. probably all heard. Yeah. You're fine. You're fine. Mm. Stop crying. Um, any dismiss, any, any time we dismiss how a child is feeling, um, you know, we are conditioning them to not listen, to dismiss how they're feeling as well. Mm-hmm. Any time where we are, you know, we're, and a lot of times we will dismiss it because we have this goal in our mind, you know, we really want them to get that grade or the A. Um, and so, you know, we'll tell them to just, you know, push through it. Yeah. Um, and there's some level of that where some things that we do need to, to kind of work through and to push through. Um, but that tends to be the, the message that children are constantly getting and constantly being sent. Um, and that's how we condition, you know, children, that's how we condition children growing up to ignore the signals that their body is telling them, you know, your body is telling you that is, is, is sending you a signal for a reason. Yeah. It's important for us to pay attention to it and to, to to notice it, to see where it's coming from. And maybe it doesn't stop us from what we're doing, but maybe it helps us reflect on like, oh, wow, is it, is this really coming? Is this feeling I'm feeling coming from an insecurity? Do I need to unpack that? Yeah. Huh. And maybe it's not like, hey, you need to stop, but hey, recognize this insecurity that you're feeling and you know, gain some perspective or work through that, or maybe this isn't the environment for you to do this thing that you're doing. Um, Now, how can we help children listen and pay attention to their, you know, the signals that their body are signaling to them and to their emotions and and, and understand their emotions? We, a big part is validating their emotions. We don't always need to validate or shouldn't always necessarily validate their behavior, but we can validate how they're feeling, right? You know, you're feeling really frustrated because the, you know, the puzzle piece won't fit. Mm-hmm. It's really frustrating. You really wanted to go in and it's, it's not seeming to go in like, ah, that must be really frustrating. Ah, you're really sad because the ball went over the fence and we can't get it right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. I know what it's like to, to, to want something and to not be able to get it. Like, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. I get it. Cry it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. And then you can work, allow them to have their emotions, feel their emotions, and then work through problem solving. Okay, so how can we work through this? Uh, is there another thing that we can play with? Is this, okay, I know we don't have, we were throwing around a ball, but huh, you really want to throw. Okay, I'm hearing, I'm listening to you. And as they're communicating to you, they kind of have to listen internally and then communicate outwards. Like, I want to throw something or I want to play. I want to do X, Y, Z. Okay, so I hear you want to throw something. Huh, maybe we can ball up this piece of paper and we can throw it. Huh, I'm hearing you want to play. Oh, look, those blocks are looking pretty lonely. And I know you really like blocks. Let's play with blocks, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, helping them you know, validating how they're feeling, allowing them to look inward, helping them look inward and problem solving, feeling their feelings and problem solving whatever they're working through. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And especially the about like sitting with them in their emotions and, and acknowledging and naming what they're feeling. Uh, oh my goodness. When, uh, when I when I first had kids, it was really dysregulating for me when they would cry, as it is for a lot of parents, because we don't want to see our children upset or in pain or in any kind of distress. So what I did as sort of um, an instinctual reaction was anything to make them stop crying. So and a lot of times that did look like invalidating what they were experiencing, invalidating what they were feeling, especially with really young kids. If they're mad or sad or it doesn't matter, like they're going to (laughs) cry. And a lot of emotions do come out as tears and, and as crying. And so it made me feel like, oh, no, I'm really uncomfortable that my child is crying. How can I make them stop crying? Instead of, they're so uncomfortable that they're crying. How can I help them work through whatever it is they're feeling? And 
it is it's such a a level of discomfort that I used to just push and like try and close down anything that they were feeling so that I wouldn't have to hear them cry because in my mind I thought well if they're not crying if they stop crying then they're fine but that's not how it really works that's that's you know that's so true um and a lot of times they you know and that's what we think that is, is such a you know a common thought if they're not crying if they're not throwing a temper tantrum or they're not melting down then they're fine yeah. right they're you know but a lot of children sometimes children just have learned to to, to stop asking for comfort Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some even infants stop crying, not necessarily, it doesn't mean that they're no longer feeling stress is they've learned that no one is going to help them yeah. work through that stress. Yeah. Um, you know, no one's going to come, come to, and that's, you know, and that's a big kind of almost controversy with the cried out method, right? Like, yeah. okay, if you stop going to them, then they will stop crying, which may be true, but that doesn't mean that you know, that the stress leaves their body. And actually, you know, the cortisol levels are still there, whether or not they're crying or not. And even for, you know, older children, um, you know, we think like the, like the, the good kids are the ones who, you know, don't cause a lot of, a lot of inconveniences for the adults and don't, you know, they don't, you know, they, they won't speak up. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of times they're internally in stress, stressed out too yeah Uh, and now they're taking all those emotions that are in their body and they're pushing it down Mm -hmm. and they're pushing it further and further down and that's where the mental health issues come from Mm -hmm. that's you know that's the stuff that is going to cause the long-term challenges yeah uh, mental health and that you're going to need to unpack during therapy Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you know, just because they're not crying or they're not, you know, demanding your attention or they're not, you know, or they're not disagreeing with you doesn't mean that they're not in stress. Yeah. Yeah. I I talk with a lot of my clients about that. I work with a lot of um, families whose children are either in foster care or I work with foster caregivers who, who are taking care of um, other people's children. And... That is one of the biggest things that we run into, especially if it's infants. Um, if we're working with infants, then we see a lot of little babies who either never stop crying or they or or they just don't cry at all, like no matter what. Um, and it's it's wild how um, how different the response can be um, in infants. But it still boils down to the same issue. My, my needs are not being met and either I know my needs are not going to be met. And so I'm what I, I'm just, I have learned, like you said, no one's coming to take care of me or, um, no one has come yet. And so I'm going to keep crying and crying and crying because this is unbearable. Um, and it's interesting you bring up the none of this was in my, inter- my outline, but it's fine. That's uh, fine. Okay. Uh, it's interesting that you bring up the cry it out method. That's what I was taught when I first had children. I had kids really young and I think I was 21 when I had my first baby and um, I was taught cry it out. That it, That is what you do. You, you let them cry it out. And I did that with my first. And um, I, I started to do it with my second and I couldn't. Like I, I couldn't bring myself to do it because they're crying. I'm crying because they're crying. And I, and I feel like I can't go to them and I feel like I'm doing something wrong by going to them. And then, um, I, I couldn't stand it anymore. And so I was like, I I can't do it. Um, and then I had my third baby and he was born with, um, a lot of respiratory issues. So there was no option, um, to let him cry it out. There was no option for discipline that would like bring him, to um a point of distress because if we did he couldn't breathe anymore and I think that that was the biggest light bulb moment for me was that like we we don't need to um 
we don't need to respond to children in such a way that it brings them into distress. And I don't think I realized at first that I was bringing my children to a point of distress, that instead of helping them cope and helping them work through whatever they were feeling, I was amplifying those feelings of stress and I was pushing them into like really toxic stress responses um, that ultimately would just sometimes cause them to shut down. And then when I had my third child, that was not an option anymore because we'd end up in the hospital um, if he just started crying at all. And he's six now. um, And it still is one of those situations where we really have to work hard to communicate feelings and we have to work hard to verbalize what's going on because if he gets upset and we don't have a chance to help him walk through what he's feeling and verbalize it he will uh absolutely have a meltdown and that brings on an asthma attack and that brings on you know its own issues um and i it's (sighs) I wonder sometimes why it is that when we first have children, and I know that I'm not the only one who has experienced this, where mm-hmm. we push down that that intuitive, I want to respond to my baby. We, we try to suppress that and make that go away because we think it's the right thing to do. Well, I think it has to do a lot with outside pressure. Um, a lot of people will say that's what you you know, need to do. And that's kind of been the standard for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think another thing is that, you know, parents are tired and they're struggling and it's, it's a hard time. It's a very hard time for the infant who just had this kind of traumatic experience of coming into the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, going, I imagine like an infant from going from like the warmth of like inside of uh you know inside of the womb to like the coldness the cold air of a crib um and but also parents are really struggling during this time too because their sleep cycles because an infant's sleep cycles are you know they they wake up every couple of hours um you know and that's something that is that like puts us at our wits end and we're like anything to make it stop, mm. you know, be fine. Like, and then yeah. it's the whole thing, like they'll be fine. And also to like, for us to have always gotten the message of, you know, of, you know, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. It's kind of us pushed, pushing that message down to children and yeah. not to say, like it's okay for children to have emotions. It's okay for them to be upset, for them to cry, for them to be frustrated, for them, you know, to be mad. All the emotions are okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really more about co-regulation, mm-hmm. especially during those younger years. I mean, we need some co-regulation in our adult years too, but yeah. especially in those younger years, it's about co-regulation and the way that, you know children become adults who are better able to self-regulate or by having an adult as a child who's co-regulate co-regulating with them what i mean by co-regulating i mean uh an adult going in and helping them regulate validating those feelings putting the hand on the back a hug you know helping them work through and understand you know what's going on and why they're feeling what they're feeling um you know, giving them the tools and skills for self-regulation, um, you know, while we're there and, we're, you know, we're helping them through. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how, you know, children grow up and they're you know, able to be more independent and confident and able to self-regulate themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, it's, it's tough and I don't, you know, anyone who's done it who's done like the cry it out method, you know, maybe you're wanting to change. Maybe you're not wanting to change. And I'm not here to judge you if you do one way or the other, you know, I I do believe for that, like that's, you know, your choice, what you want to do, because you have your needs as a parent. Like I I think about it, it's, it's the needs of both, right? It's the needs. The parent has very real needs. And the child has very real needs and anything we can do to kind of bridge that gap of where we can both meet our needs 
um, you know, I like that's the sweet spot and that's where we want to be at. And that's what we kind of want to strive to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be really, really, really challenging. And not every strategy is going to, not every child is going to respond to every strategy the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, children are born with different temperaments. Um, so, you know, I'm not here to judge you if you are, but if you are looking for, if, if it's not feeling right to you and you are looking for a different way um, to do things, I am actually about to post a pot, like on my podcast, at a conversation with um, her name on Instagram is Isla Grace Sleep. So if you want to look at her content, yeah, you can see that. But also, um, through my podcast, you'll be able to find it. I haven't posted it yet, but I will probably by the time this comes out, mm-hmm. my episode will have come out um, and you will, and you can kind of hear a different way to see things, a different way to do things. And if that's something you're interested in, then there's that resource and there's many other resources out there. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I know that I'm going to check it out and, um, I still have a four-year-old. I still have really young kids in my house. And even though he can talk, uh, I am always looking for new ways to communicate with him and to make it just a little bit easier because uh, he and I, I, I love him. He is the wildest kid I have ever had. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm always like, oh, please, somebody help me. <laughs> and it doesn't, it's funny because sometimes it doesn't matter how much we, we know in our, in our minds, if we're wow. not practicing, uh, those things, then it, it doesn't matter. It goes out the window if, if we become dysregulated and yeah. I was gonna ask. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Nope. You finish. Oh, I was just gonna say, and 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 so we have to regulate ourselves as parents before we can expect to, like, if if I'm angry with my child for being upset, I can't expect him to calm down because I'm not calm. Yeah. Right. And you're you're adding to the dysregulation if you, you know, go to the storm with more storm. If you go to the thunderstorm with a tornado, then yeah. it's going to just combine um and let me ask you this yeah curious are you how what were you like growing kind of growing up were you a wild child too or were you kind of more reserved Mm. and quieter curious so i think i would have been a wilder child uh if when i had freedom to be i would i was loud and i was boisterous and running around and um you know, always wanted to be outside, always wanted to be taking risks. Um, as I got a little bit older, um, sort of mid grade school, that was pushed down. It was not acceptable anymore. It was fine when I was really, really young, but the older I got, the more pushback I got on that. And so I learned that the way to, you know, uh, not get in trouble, the way to, uh, you know, receive praise honestly was to be quiet was to not be noticed or if I was being noticed I I would be noticed for like my really really good behavior or my really good grades and so I would push myself I would study I would do everything I possibly could Um, and then high school and college came and that became a lot more difficult to do it became a lot more difficult to just push everything down and then yeah I ended up in therapy as an adult (laughs) because I couldn't I couldn't handle how much of all of my emotions that I had suppressed and I remember um at one point you know being in therapy and saying to my therapist how come I'm so angry all the time it doesn't take anything and I'm enraged and I don't even know why I'm so angry and she said well Joy you've got 32 years of pent-up anger that you just pushed down you were never allowed to express it or you didn't feel safe expressing it and now it's coming out and you're trying to get 32 years worth of anger out all at once um yeah yeah. you know uh, a common thing and the reason why i asked the question is you know it's not uncommon for you know 
parents or really even adults because this extends to teachers too. Mm -hmm. But it's not uncommon for parents to be triggered by the behaviors that were that were not acceptable and were pushed down during their childhood. Yeah. Um, and so like your child, you know, it, you having the, you know, wild child and you not being able to be, you know, expressive in that way um, can be something that's kind of just adds to the trigger. So, yeah, you know, it can be helpful to have to kind of understand that perspective and kind of where it's coming from yeah. to kind of in those moments where it is. Cause I know like sometimes like children can kind of be like all over the place <laughs> and, <they're just> like, <laughs> and you're like, Oh my goodness, this is so overwhelming Yeah, um, to take a step back and kind of appreciate it. Like, okay, like this is, and almost like learn from our children too, that mm. like, you know, maybe there's, maybe I need to be a little bit more expressive, like my four-year-old, yeah. you know, um, you know, maybe, you know, he is uncovering or trying to bring out a part of me unconsciously that is, that, that is there, that is dormant, that is, yeah. is just been, you know, screaming to get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can kind of even maybe even grow to sometimes appreciate those moments. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember when my therapist asked me how I play with my children or if I played with my children. And I was like, I mean, I watch them play. Uh, (laughs) right because of that that exact thing where it it was overwhelming and they're loud and they're everywhere and uh and she um you know we were talking about what it's like to try and play with kids and I I like I had to relearn how to play I had to learn how to play with my kids and not be like stressed out by it um and to allow myself to be more expressive, like you said. And it's it's definitely not perfect still. I mean, it's something that I think that I will have to continue to work on forever. Um, I don't know that it's like a one and done situation. Okay, now I know how to play, whatever, yeah. and it's fine. And no, it's like every time it's, and it gets a little bit easier over time. But it definitely takes work and practice. But the, I think that the thing for me is just the realization that when I can get on my kids' level and I can play with them, I'm offering them freedom and I'm offering them something that I didn't feel I had when I was a kid. And um, that makes me want to work harder at mm. that because I want I want that for my kids. I want them to experience the freedom to be children. Um, yeah. And I, and, and, you know, you bring up a good point of like, if there's, you're never done, right. You're never yeah. done growing really. And I always say like, don't try to be a perfectionist. Like perfectionism is like a sickness. Like don't, <laughs> it, 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 it does, you can't be perfect. Yeah. Um, not healthy to try to be perfect, you know? So I say, don't be a perfectionist be an improvenist. Mm. The goal is to be perfect every day. Mm-hmm. The goal is to improve a little every day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. I remember when I uh, when I first started uh learned when I first learned that yelling was really uh unhealthy for my kids. And that was really early on after I had my second child and I was trying really hard to stop yelling. And anytime I thought, anytime I yelled, I would be like, well, that's it. I failed. Got to start over again. You know, even if it was just one time and I wasn't allowing myself any room for mistakes, any room for error. Um, And so it became a lot more difficult to stop yelling. It wasn't, it, it was like every failure, I felt like I was starting over. Yeah. Right, right, right. And that's how, you know, that's how a lot of times, and even sometimes we will kind of push this, you know, perfection, you know, I idea down on children too, and, you know, get on them for every, you know, mistake that they make. And it's the whole thing of like, spilling the milk, 
yeah. right? And yeah. it debilitates you, right? When you are, and I and I'll and I'll put a story to go along with this, um, but it, you know, the children who get yelled at when they spill their milk, those are the ones who are paralyzed in fear, and they're not able to clean up the milk and mm -hmm. go about and continue going about their day. Yeah. Um, and so, like I, like I said, I had a class three to five year olds Montessori classroom, and one of my kind of like goals in the classroom, and. Really, usually by like mid-year, by like February, January, it would be everything would be pretty smooth. Um, but we did something called family-style dining during non-COVID times. Yeah, uh, where we would put the I would put all of the food. Um, they'd have their you know their protein, their fruit, their vegetable, their milk, their cups, and their utensils. Um, they would help put put it out, but it would all be on the table. Mm -hmm. And the children come to the table. They scoop, you know, they scoop their protein. They scoop their fruit. They scoop their vegetable. They pass it on. They pour their own milk. Mm -hmm. So like, and and I'm not doing anything, but really just monitoring and watching and helping if they need help. Yeah. Uh, now in the beginning of the year, it's not. That's not exactly what's happening. We kind of have to build up to it, right? And part of the process of building up to it is allowing for those mistakes, yeah. allowing them and expecting. And me as the adult, like I have to be in the mindset and the perspective of knowing that they're going to make mistakes. And so when they do spill, it's not like, oh my God, Johnny, why'd you spill the milk? That was all the milk. Now no one's going to get milk. <laughs> We're all going to start, you know? <laughs> I might be exaggerating a little bit right there, but a lot sure. of times, even just the ah or the oh no, which is a big over exaggeration to the mistake, yeah, uh, can be really debilitating. And so, so we have to kind of check our own reactions to things, and they're watching. Stay tuned to hear our next episode, which will be released next week. It's the second half of my conversation with Mr. Chaz. You've been listening to 99 Lead Balloons, honest talk about shit society ignores. Special thanks to my guest, Mr. Chaz, for joining me. For more of Mr. Chaz's work, you can find him on Patreon, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Links to Mr. Chaz's social media and other platforms are also available in the liner notes. Graphic and web design by Chris Campbell Creative. Go to chriscampbell.com for more. Theme song by Luciano Music Company, licensed by Premium Beat by Shutterstock. Produced and edited by Stoke the Wild Studios. To stay up to date on episodes and content, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 99pod or go to 99pod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>